In this week's episode of Farmers Inside Track, we're connecting with Aldrin Lawrence. He farms in Beistorp, a relatively unknown Limpopo town named after his ancestor, French Huguenot Kunrad de Beis. And joining us again in our agripreneurship slot this week is the head of agribusiness at Standard Bank, Nicke Grunewald, who talks about digitized agritech solutions. Chef Tuto Mathlangu shares her secret ingredient to a perfect home-cooked South African meal. Potatoes! She says it's the Beyonce of vegetables. You'll also be empowered with the top tip from nutritionist Andrea Duplessis. Then on top of our reading list this week is 0 to 1 notes on startups or how to build the future by legendary entrepreneur and investor Peter Thiel. And you don't want to miss our weekly AMT Fresh Produce Outlook on the market with agri-economist Dr. Johnny van der Merwe. He highlights the latest price movements and expectations for the coming week. This is Farmers Inside Track, supported by Food for Mzansi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey Mzanzi, welcome to episode 50 of Food for Mzanzi's weekly podcast called Farmers Inside Track. I'm your host Dawn Numdu, and you're listening to South Africa's leading farmers podcast. And I'm Duncan Masiwa. Today we kick off the show by introducing you to the movers and shakers in agriculture. Today's guest is Aldrin Lawrence. Welcome to Farmers Inside Track, Aldrin Lawrence. Now, you operate a mixed farming enterprise of about 30 hectares where you produce livestock, broiler chickens, and of course, vegetables. What sparked your interest in farming? Today, what sparked my interest in farming is I grew up on the farm. I've been staying most of my life here. My father has been farming, so I've assisted him since I was in primary school, and I think that's where I get my love for farming. Now, as I understand it, Aldrin, there's quite a rich history in regards to your family and their connection with agriculture. Tell us a bit about that. My family from my mother's side is a base family, which has been here since the 1800s. They've been farming, and that's what they used to do for income and to survive. Now, I recently read your story featured on Food for Mzanzi, and in it you say that when troubled or faced with adversity, you don't look towards the ground, but rather you look towards the hill where your help comes from. I'm quite interested to know what challenging times in your agricultural journey do you remember that required you to have faith, you know, beyond what your eyes could see? Water is one of our scarce resources and that means if you farm you have to look after your water. Also the irrigation system that you are using, try to use effective water irrigation system. Now Limpopo has also been plagued with very harsh droughts. How have you been able to find success in such unfavorable conditions? I think my proudest moment in my journey was when I harvested my first potato crop and I've had a very good yield of more than 60 tons per hectare, which is actually above average for Limpopo region. What has been your proudest moment uh, throughout your entire agricultural journey? 
drought is a difficult thing to deal with because you don't have control over it. Everything is in God's hands, but the way to go through it is just to plant a bit smaller and manage it well so you can get good hills, good quality, and so you can have good prices for your product. But overall, drought is a thing that you can't really manage it. Now, Aljun, we have a segment on our show where we ask our guests uh, two quirky questions. I've prepared one for you today. And uh, because you're a man of potatoes, I'd like to pose this question to you. Would you rather not be able to eat French fries again for the rest of your life or eat mashed potatoes with every meal for the rest of your life? Yes, that indeed is a very quirky question to make me choose between my mother and my father who's the best. (laughs) If I can't eat potatoes, then I'd rather not farm potatoes, especially if I can't eat it the way I prefer to eat it. That was 51-year-old Limpopo farmer Aldrin Lawrence. Coming up shortly, the latest movements in the fresh produce markets. But first, Nikke Grunewald talks about digitized agritech solutions. I'm joined once again by Nico Grunewald. He is the head of agribusiness at Standard Bank, and it's great to have him with me again. Hi, Nico. How are you doing? Hello, Dawn. Happy to chat to you again. Now, Nico, we've had quite a number of discussions over the past few weeks, and I'm really, really, really excited about talking to you again today. And we're covering the topic digitization. Nico, when it comes to digitization, What type of challenges do established farmers face in the current digital environment? Dawn, if I have to go back to my days at at Varsity, we, in agriculture economics, there was something that we were taught about, uh, and that was the so-called production factors for agriculture. And at that stage, I think we limited it to basically four. Then technology accelerated and the digital revolution came along and suddenly the the way that we look at the traditional production factors have changed significantly. Now, the advantage that digitization can give over the traditional way of agriculture that we looked at is it it offers access to tailored information, insights that allow optimization of your production. You can gain access to appropriate products and services. You can explore new linkages in new markets. Also, from an environmental perspective, I think digitization is playing a role because this can potentially lead to efficient and resource-friendly sustainable farming. We at the bank uh, have have looked at uh, innovative financial solutions, specifically around uh, issues uh, uh, such as renewable energy at the farm level. And and there's links into that with the whole Internet of Things, the digi more efficiently on, on farms as an example. Um, technology and specifically digitization can also help uh, stimulate innovation for sustainable agricultural food systems and produce better and safer food to preserve natural resources. Now moving to smaller scale farmers, what are some of the challenges that smaller scale farmers face when it comes to digitization? I think the cost of acquiring technology is probably the most uh, prominent one and could be potentially a, a barrier to entry and a barrier to optimizing your production. Limited access to infrastructure and specifically connectivity that I referred to in this instance could also play a role. And then in small scale farmer, the, always the issue of the, the small or the low economies of scale that sits in there. In other words, you know, if you only have one hectare versus having a thousand hectares where you can distribute certain costs over a thousand hectares instead, instead of only one hectare, 
those are the challenges that I think specifically smaller farmers could face when it gets to the more expensive side of technology and then specifically digitization. And how has the emergence of digitized agri-tech solutions helped farmers to reduce risks and increase efficiencies? You know, the African farmers have increasingly embraced digital technologies that reduces the risk and improve their productivity. Solutions that deliver anything from a, a text message to the farmer or to interactive voice responses to linking farmers to, to inputs and suppliers, uh, we've seen uh, that developing. We as a bank are also looking at the moment in a different part of the continent of how we can uh, build on these kind of platforms and expand these kind of platforms to make sure that your smallest farmer have access to market and access to different technologies and solutions that could help him or even at a one hectare level. Definitely something to look forward to for these small scale farmers out there. I'm really looking forward to finding out more about that, Nico. And is there anything in closing that you'd like to add on this topic, digitization? Anything that else that's vital that we need to know? Just uh, in closing, maybe uh, I refer to some of the work that we are looking at in, in different parts of the continent. We've also kicked off recently a lot of work around using specifically satellite technology and linking that then with production and monitoring of production and then linking that back again with how we can monitor including even possible options of insurance to farmers using a specific technology. So uh, I think the options are so many in terms of using technology going forward and then specifically how we digitize it using platforms to connect these things, uh, I think is the way of the future. Definitely, I couldn't agree more. I think COVID-19 has really pushed us to take up many, many more opportunities within technology and digitization. So thank you so much, Niku. I really enjoyed our chats with you and everything of the best. Thank you, Don. Thanks for joining us, Niku Grunewald. He is the head of agribusiness at Standard Bank. Wow, Mom, why did you put on this chicken? Well, I was trying a new recipe using grain-filled chickens. Oh, Mom, this is amazing. You can't go wrong with 100% South African farm-quality chicken. With a range of fresh, frozen and marinated products, make grain-filled chickens your number one choice. Grain-filled chickens from the farms of the Free State. Need we say more? If you want quality, ask for grain-filled chickens at a leading store. Grainfield Chickens. Bring home the taste. Visit grainfieldchickens.co.za We now introduce you to another exciting edition here on Farmers Inside Track. For the next three months, you can look forward to the invaluable contributions of Dr. Kurbis Loebscher, a highly respected agricultural economist. Now, as part of the Health Squared Agri-Update, you will get weekly top tips from Loebscher, who is also a renowned strategist advising agribusinesses, farmers and government. We will also hear from many other experts at Agility Agri advising progressive farmers about some of the solutions they should be incorporating as a business. But for now, it's over to you, Dawn and agricultural economist, Dr. Kurbis Loebscher. I'm joined by Dr. Kurbis Loebscher. He's an agricultural economist and independent consultant to Agility Agri. Dr. Loebscher, welcome to Farmers Inside Track. Great to have you with us. Good day. Thank you for the opportunity to have a discussion with you. I hope we will have sort of you know, a very fruitful discussion. Yes, of course. Dr. Lopesha, I've had some discussion with you around COVID-19 and the pandemic and around 
future-focused farmers and farmers thinking differently about the approach to how they operate their agribusinesses and overall running of how they think about the people that work with them on the farm and also more aggressively around technological advancement, advancement within the sector. As part of agility, there's a big focus around health, well-being and ensuring farmers sort of have their house in order when it comes to the global pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. But how relevant is it to farmers and agribusinesses really? I will sort of confine myself more to the farming, farming being a business. And to properly understand what I have in mind is let us position ourselves three years down the line from where we are right now. We will still be in need. The difference will be that we will need nutritious food, safe food, and affordable food. It will maybe come in different packages and stuff like that based on the new technology and the new demand from the consumers. So yes, we will have demand for food, not just in South Africa, but even in Africa, even in other countries of the world, fortunately. Now, if we now step back and see what farmers do, farmers have a very simple calling. They want to produce food. They're good at that. You know, they can combine natural resources with their management skills, with their labor on the farm, and with a lot of faith that they will rain again, and then there will be food on the table. It takes a whole collective of people involved in this whole process. And that's what I want to talk about, that when we now engage the people on farms, we have to re-look in terms of what we need and how are we going to use them. Use not meaning in terms of, of a resource like a used fertilizer. It's a question of how you combine what you have on a farm in terms of engaging differently with the people in a team spirit on farms. By now we know that the new dispensational farms will be more inclined in terms of technological implementation. New technology will be there. So there's a drive to, to use less human resources and more capital investment. It will be different on farms, of course, because if you look in terms of the diversity on farms, on very highly sophisticated, very competitive, high-tech farms to the normal farms as we know it, you plant wheat and you farm with sheep, whatever the case, but all in all, it will call for a different dispensation to adhere in terms of what the consumer wants. Now, when we now say we want to be in business, we can only be in business if we make money. And we make money in terms of how we engage our resources. So profitable farming will the least cost way of contributing to its economic growth. Because when you have a profitable farm, that farmer can pay his people working for him and they spend their money where they work. They work in Ken William. They get paid in Ken William. They're not going to spend their money in Cape Town in the water from pick and pay. So this is what we need to do. So all should be focused on sustainability on farm. And for that call, a not to be is needed. COVID showed that our policy structures are not conducive, inferring from that need. Farmers then, they proved that they can work with and without government. So in the new dispensation, we probably hope that government get on board of the bus and not try to drive the bus, if I can put it that way. If we get government in that position, farmers will do the job and they will have food on the table. You alluded to the fact that farmers proved how they could contribute in terms of they produce, they donate. Because what happens by the start of the lockdown, there was already crops on the land and there was produce that need to be sold. What do you do? Nobody can buy it. But also, you know, remember what happened, the fall apart of the informal network of suppliers. Mm. And all of a sudden, government now realized that almost 40% of the total value of sales of agriculture goes through those channels. 
Why now? So that was a wake-up call, and hopefully we'll learn our lesson, and we will empower those people to distribute. So there's a new, totally new dispensation. Now, how do we get ready for this new dispensation? New outlets, new value chains, etc. For farmers to be able to cope with that, to make profit out of that, he need to engage differently on his farm. My pledge is then revalue, rethink how you engage your people. That calls for different treatment. We need higher skilled people. We need to get better career opportunities for our farm workers. And that calls for a different situation. So I grew up where our farm laborers were part of an extended family, meaning we look after their health. We look after whatever takes from them that can get the focus of increased productivity. Productivity will mean that we can make money. We do not abuse people. I'm not talking about that. It's how do we harness our resources differently to produce food. And that's what I'm saying. Now, what do we need? Farmers' main concentration to produce, using the implements, using whatever takes it, but looking for the most soft issues, so-called soft issues, the human part. We need support in that regard. And my involvement is that advising uh, Agility Agri in that regard. What can they bring to the table to give farmers assurance to help them out and become a member of a team? I call it become a partner in mission. And I think they've got the tool. Another example, if a farmer decides to buy a bucky, he changed his mind, I want to buy a bucky. He made the decision, two-wheel drive, four-wheel drive. Once he made that decision, then he started to shop for a brand. So that is the typical way. The same applied to tractors. Now, what I want to see is this will be in the space of support, a lot of players. So choose the right one that's fit for purpose. And my opinion is that Agility Aggregate has a toolbox of customized instruments that can assist farmers with that. Talk to them, engage and, and I, these guys are professional enough. If they have, don't have what you want, either they cannot provide them, step away. It's not a question that you will farmers forced into a dispensation. Be on the lookout, be open for new instruments that can use. But lastly, when we want to enhance career opportunities in agriculture for higher skilled people, is upskilling our own people and ensuring that the conditions they work in is improved because then you get a stable workforce that want to work there. But farmers themselves also need to make a sort of a, a mindset change in terms of how do I now engage these higher skilled people? Old saying, I'm boss on the plus, you know, I will decide what and when and how. That is not on anymore. There need to be a leader, but engage in terms of, of a new managerial style on farms to unlock what is coming your way. I think COVID forced us to a lockdown on farms, reconsider what we have, reappreciate what we have. And once we have understand that dynamic, we can apply the mechanics and then we can, we can take it from there. And in terms of products that Agility Agri offers farmers, is there something that works for all farmers? Does the scale of your farm matter, whether I'm running a small agribusiness or whether I'm running a bigger business? Does it matter or can I implement these new ways of thinking and farming on all levels? I think we must be very clear about that. I think as we see diversity in those normal business, you know, a big supermarket with 100 people working as a different dispensation than, than a guy, small owner of two or three employees. Yes, it will differ. But Agility Agric is willing and able to, you know, to engage and see what can be done. How can it be structured so that they be actually better collective for the small farmers, for the small players? Because the big ones is more or less can do and always they can use the tools that are available and they do use it. But we have to relook really and we have to sit down and how we and, and they 
agility aggregacy in negotiations with provincial agricultural structures, you know, how can they assist? How can they bring it to them? Remember, they can offer products outside of the Medical Aid Act per se, but, but that's a different, total different story. But what they bring to the table is supportive instruments, products, you know, that can help farmers doing the job, relieve them from the burden, a very administrative burden in terms of looking after people. I think that there's a lot to be learned in terms of empowering the women on farm. How can we empower them, educate them? What can be done? And how can we agility take hands with other formal structures, you know, with public sector? We know. I, I grew up, we were at a, a clinic, visited by a clinic sister on a farm every three months that could attend to the social needs of the, that's not on anymore, you know. So what can be done? And how can we, a collective, do that? Because unless we treat and provide better conditions for farm workers. There's no, uh, there's really no uh, appeal to them, you know, uh, to move back to farms, you know. So that need to, farm as a career, farming as a career, working on a farm need to be, I would say, re-engineered, need to be after differently. And, and we're not going to force it by legislation. This is thing that we need, to, we will happen if we want to do it, if conditions are more. I think for a major part of our farm workers, they want they enjoy the rural living, but they're concerned about their children because the children need to go to a nearby town. There's no proper accommodation. This social is it's, it's socially disturbing because you want to be near your children, etc. So we need to think differently. I recall my late mother. She, she makes sure that on the day before the school start, all the children must be fully dressed up of everything. They, then they will be transported to the school of their choice. And the day when the, the bucky, whatever the transport was already waiting for that, so bringing back to the farm. That provides a kind of assurance to the parents, you know. And then these are things that we can apply. That's not going to cost a lot of money, but a mindset change that we, that we, need, that we need to consider. And I think COVID showed that we, on the, we can be on the right track. We understand the dynamics on the farm. And in that regard, Agility Agri can become a partner in mission, as I said, you know, and, and, and try to provide it. And it's about instruments in terms of, of guidance of how you can, how can you employ it, apply that in terms of a mutual sort of uh, understanding of need and what is on the, what the offer, offering are. Dr. Lopesher, maybe just in terms of careers, why do you think that young people aren't finding it, agriculture, the agricultural sector as attractive as other sectors to work in? And how do we sort of change that by looking at this new way of, of operating within the agri-space? And how do we ensure maybe that farm agricultural workers that have been working on the farms, that their children consider farming and agriculture as a, as a way, as a, as a career option? Yeah, it's tragic, you know, if you see in terms of what happened to the rural areas, you know, towns that are flourishing when you were a child and I was a child, what happened to those towns? They're just dead for, for the wrong reasons. Farming is rural, you know, so we have to assume that. So what I think what will happen is COVID showed that we do not need to be in an office in a city to do our work. So I suspect that we will see that kind of decentralization of effort. For instance, you can buy a house in Brantford, providing this, you know, the support, the normal services are provided, you can work from home, providing you have access to data and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's cheap living and stuff. I'm just by way of an example. You know, once we have access to basic services, but more basic than just basic healthcare and stuff like that, but you have sort of access to data, you know, you can consider a farm, for instance, in, in Muresbach, and these guys have access to, to affordable data. 
they can start using it for personal training and stuff like that. And they, by so doing, have access to a new world of markets because online marketing will be the new market, new normal, you know. So they can stay there. They put excellent conditions. They're happy in terms of what they do. They get sort of training at the back, you know. These are things that need to investigate. I know of farmers in Uppington, for instance, where the wife of the, of the farmer trained the woman in financial management and stuff like that, child education. Those persons can then get involved on a different level in terms of education. Now, once you have that kind of dispensation, of course, you know, then I'm going to go to town, I'm going to get to university or school or whatever, but I want to come back and I want to work on this farm because my father worked here, my grandfather worked here. I know of a farmer in the Western Cape, well-known farmer. He showed me that the person in charge of his human resource department was a lady that grew up on his farm. That farm sent her to university and she came back. She applied for a job, she got a job and she's perfectly happy because she know. And this is the kind of thing that you want to restore. You want to pull them back. Now, in terms of the children of farmers, sometimes a farm cannot afford two farmers, three farmers on a farm, simply because of size. And that is an economic reality. That's not only applied to farmers, but we can do things because the people on our farm, they need to, need to work. We must change it that they want to work there. They want to come back and they want to see a career for the children. Talks about retirement, you know, when the, the folks get retirement, what happened to them? You know, they moved to a town. There's a whole lot of permutations what you can do to make life better for them. How come can we, can't we see sort of a retirement dispensation on farms where they had a small one hectare or whatever given to that person, you know, title deed, etc. Then he can live, they can farm. These are the things that we need to talk about. Again, to what extent are we ready in terms of are the legislators supportive and conducive? A lot of need to be renegotiated in terms of that. Then once you have that, the question of expropriation without compensation takes a different color in terms of negotiating because all of a sudden, it's not this farmer, I've got a stake in this farm. Mm-hmm. I was involved as a consultant in, for farmers in the free state where they said, I want we as a farmer's collective, we want to cut off a piece of, of land between all of us farms and we want to put our people there, they can build houses, they can tackle it for free. But we need government, instead of building a house for them in town, they do it here and they let it fly. For now, when you look it up, because of corruption, whatever the case may be, we have to think differently in terms of how we are going to accommodate this. And I'm very excited, you know, that we will come up with answers. The pandemic, the COVID-19 will force us into this new dispensation. It's a little new world that's opened up. Here we are currently engaging over, you know, over the internet. Previously, I had to go into your, your studios and I had to be record and stuff like that. You know, it's, it's more dynamic, it's more in time. That's kind of what I like, you know. And we have to get the same dynamics into the farming farming operation. And the problem is, you know, the more remote areas, they are the forgotten people. We need to explore them. We have to see an Afrikaans who's with her on deck and have done that. And you'll see now, for instance, this world-renowned chef, Jan van der Wessels, is opening a world-class restaurant in the Kalahari, you know. These are the things that we need to consider, you know, to open up rural areas, rural spaces for the people in town. Mm-hmm. And once they look, they see what love is like there, you know, it's still with all the immunities that I can have in, in the town with at probably less cost. And do I need all that I think I need in town? It's a new dispensation. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we do not have to answer them, but we must be part of the thinking towards new solutions. I think that's how we might position ourselves as farmers. No, definitely. I couldn't agree more, Dr. Lopsha. 
Um, just in closing, anything else that you'd like to add that farmers should consider, look at, um, and be more aware of, especially now? You know, your access to your resources, you know, to, to stay sustainable on your farm has to be broadened. You have to really uh, reconsider and relook at what you have at your disposal. Do with what you have where you are the best you can and stay vigilant, stay open eyes. Then involve partners that knows more than what you do and create a collective that you can, that people join in in terms of finding the right solution. That's a new thing. It's not a standalone anymore. It's a collective that we're depending on and we, we can explore that farmers need to become of that. And they can play their role in terms of rural areas, small towns, in terms of involve them, government involve farmers. These guys are there for, for their life. They want to be there, involve them. They want to make the towns better, make the conditions better for them because they want people to stay on their farms and want to work on their farms. Thank you so much, Dr. Kovus Lopesha, agricultural economist and independent consultant. Um, uh, to Agility Agri. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're on Farmers Inside Track and everything of the best with the work that you're doing. Thank you very much. Thank you. We now shift from farm to fork right here on Farmers Inside Track with Chef Tutu Mahlangu who shares her secret ingredient to a perfect home-cooked South African meal, potatoes, and she calls it the Beyonce of vegetables. But of course, you'll also be empowered with a top tip from our nutritionist, Andrea Duplessis. My name is Chef Tutumatlangu and my most treasured ingredient or pantry staple would be potatoes. I think they're the Beyonce of vegetables. They're very versatile. You can fry them, boil them, bake them and play around with them. You can dress them up, dress them down. I think they're an essential. It's the go-to for students. So when you have fresh white bread with slop chips or in a cotta or in a potato bake, you can dress them up or dress them down and have them in what Hey, it's good to be back and to chat about nutrition and today specifically around potatoes. Now, as a dietitian, I must say I love potatoes because they are very healthy and nutritious. They're very versatile, they're cost-effective, and personally, I love them. Now, often potatoes are sort of associated with high blood sugar levels because the starch in potato is broken down very rapidly by the body and converted into blood glucose. So if you're diabetic, the potato might not be the best option for you because it is a high glycemic index food, which means if you eat lots of it, it can spike your blood sugar levels. So a better option for a diabetic would be a sweet potato. However, that doesn't mean diabetics cannot eat potatoes. A way to get around the effect on one's blood sugar rising rapidly after eating potatoes is by combining a potato within the same meal with any food item that contains protein and or fat. So that's very simple. Think of a cooked meal. You'll have something like chicken or meat or fish with vegetables, salad and potato. So already you've got the combination of protein and fats through the protein foods like fish, meat and chicken. Other ways to approach that would be to have potato as a light meal or a snack meal where you can have a baked potato topped with cottage cheese, normal cheddar cheese. You can use baked beans as a topping. And I love to make a tomato and onion smear, adding the baked beans into that and putting that on top of the potato. Sprinkle over a bit of parsley and a few chopped chilies and you've got a very tasty meal. Other things that you can add to a baked potato would be 
tinned tuna and you could make a lovely sauce combining some yogurt mustard and some fresh herbs to mix that into the tin tuna and put that on the potato as a topping. So really potatoes can be very healthy. I haven't said anything about chips. I don't think I need to because that's definitely not the healthiest way to have a potato. But if you love chips, tip from me is to buy the small baby potatoes. If they like medium size, you can just chop them in quarters. And what you do is you roast them in the oven. So before you put them in the oven on a baking tray, you toss them with a little bit of oil and seasoning like salt, pepper. You can add some garlic pepper and other vegetable salts. And you roast them under a very high heat in the oven for about 15 to 20 minutes if they're small pieces or half an hour if it's larger pieces until it's cooked right through and nice and crispy on the outside. Enjoy! Thanks for joining us, Chef Tuto and Andrea. For more great, proudly South African recipes, and of course, even more daily inspirational stories about the farmers and agriculturalists who go above and beyond to feed South Africa, visit www.foodformzanzi.co.za or follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at foodformzanzi and use the hashtag Farmers Inside Track. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food Form Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story. Right on top of our reading list this week is a book titled 021 Notes on Startups or How to Build the Future by legendary entrepreneur and investor Peter Thiel. In a YouTube interview, the author says that history, at least when it comes to business, never repeats itself. Yes, Peter Thiel. Uh, teaching entrepreneurship or writing about entrepreneurship, there's a big challenge in it because I think there is uh, no single formula. As you can tell from the last uh, few speakers, uh, it's always a very, very different story. And I think every moment in the history of business, every moment in the history of technology happens only once. The next Mark Zuckerberg will not be building a social networking site. The next Larry Page will not be building a search engine. The next Bill Gates will not be building an operating system company. If you're copying these people, in some sense, you're not learning from them. And this is why I think there is no science to business. Science starts with the number two. It starts with things that are repeatable and uh, experimentally verifiable in one way or another. Whereas I think every great company is one of a kind. And the question is, how do you get from zero to one? And so the starting point for my book, Zero to One, is this sort of anti-formulaic approach. It's to take this uh, question of singularity and uniqueness as the central question. And I try to get at it through a variety of sort of contrarian questions. What great business is nobody building? Tell me something that's true that nobody agrees with you on. These are often quite hard questions to answer because we think it's hard to come up with some new truth or it's, it often requires courage because you often have to go against conventional wisdom in one way or another. I want to maybe share two or three of these contrarian truths that I believe that people generally don't understand. But my book, Zero to One, is a whole set of these things, things that I believe to be true that most people do not agree with me on. 
first big truth that comes right out of this idea of uh, unique businesses. I think that all, if you're a founder or entrepreneur, what you want to aim for is monopoly. You want to aim to build a company that is one of a kind uh, and that it's so far differentiated from the competition that it's not even competing. Sounds like a must read for any entrepreneur. Remember to email your book suggestions to info at foodformzanzi.co.za. That's info at foodformzanzi.co.za. And from our book of the week to this week's AMT Fresh Produce Outlook on the Markets, here's Dr. Johnny van der Merwe, Agricultural Economist at the Northwest University. Thank you very much, Dawn and Duncan. As mentioned, I'm Dr. Johnny van der Merwe, and this is your weekly AMT Fresh Produce Outlook on the Markets, made possible by Standard Bank. To stay up to date with the latest prices and news, subscribe to the AMT YouTube as well as Facebook pages. Also make sure to check out our weekly grain and livestock overviews for more information. After a very unpredictable and volatile year, we think it is necessary to take a look into the seasonality of different fruits and vegetables this week and try to give some insight into where prices are most likely headed over the festive season and the start of the new year. Make sure to contact me if you want to get your hands on these detailed reports. The past few weeks, higher volumes and lower quality resulted in potato prices to decrease significantly from record high levels, with the latest price on 63 rand 43 per 10 kilogram back. Longer term, we are expecting prices to remain in a downward trend with higher demand in December that can support prices slightly. As expected, the tomato price decreased by 33% last week to 7 rand 30, with volumes increasing by 46% week on week. Similar as potatoes, prices can trend downwards this month and get some support over the festive season in December. But we see prices traditionally decrease in January again. The carrot price also decreased last week to 2 rand 80 per kilogram, with higher volumes also putting pressure on the current price. The carrot market is usually one that reacts very positively to the festive season and we therefore expect this market to gain some support in December but fall back down again in January. The latest onion price traded lower on 4.38 last week with higher volumes putting downward pressure on this price currently. This market, however, doesn't traditionally react to higher demand over the festive season with volumes that still drive these prices. If historic trends are anything to go by, we expect volumes to steadily enter into the market and prices to trend sideways or even slightly downwards in November and December, with lower volumes in January that can support prices again. Other vegetable prices traded as follows. Cabbages on 2 rand 14, garlic on 40 rand 38, spinach prices trading on 1 rand 69, while the latest sweet potato price decreased to 6 rand 81 per kilogram. Pepper prices traded on 13 rand 14 per kilogram. Although most fruit prices increased last week, the banana price decreased by 2% to 10 rand 60 per kilogram due to an increase in volumes. Longer term, we are expecting these prices to trend sideways, but the late season and higher volumes can put some additional pressure on this price going forward. The latest apple price increased to 7.95, while pear prices traded on 9.66 per kilogram. 
Apple and pay prices don't usually make drastic changes uh, and we are currently in a lower volume and upward trending price period. We therefore expect Apple prices to continue its upward trend over the next three months or so. The orange price increased to 6.45 last week with lower volumes and very good demands still supporting these prices. This trend is likely to continue over the next three months as volumes are likely to become more scarce on the markets. The avocado price showed significant improvement the past few weeks and increased to 25.32 per kilogram last week. Based on seasonality, we are expecting the price to continue moving upwards, mostly due to low volumes and good demand likely to remain on the markets. The local table grape production season is a bit late, resulting in the price to increase to 69.56 per kilogram last week. However, looking forward, we usually see the price decrease as volumes pick up until at least the middle of March next year. Therefore, expect these prices to remain under pressure during the festive season. The pineapple price traded on 9.66, while the lemon price increased to 6.92 per kilogram last week. Check out our weekly grain and livestock overviews, which is also available on our Facebook and YouTube channels. Also make sure to tune in to Food from Zanzi for the latest in agriculture. This broadcast is of course made possible by Standard Bank. Back to you Don and Duncan. Thank you very much Don and Duncan. As mentioned, I'm Dr. Johnny van Amarwe and this is your weekly AMT Fresh Produce Outlook on the Markets made possible by Standard Bank. To stay up to date with the latest prices and news, subscribe to the AMT YouTube as well as Facebook pages. Also make sure to check out our weekly grain and livestock overviews for more information. After a very unpredictable and volatile year, we think it is necessary to take a look into the seasonality of different fruits and vegetables this week and try to give some insight into where prices are most likely headed over the festive season and the start of the new year. Make sure to contact me if you want to get your hands on these detailed reports. The past few weeks, higher volumes and lower quality resulted in potato prices to decrease significantly from record high levels with the latest price on 63.43 per 10 kg back. Longer term, we are expecting prices to remain in a downward trend with higher demand in December that can support prices slightly. As expected, the tomato price decreased by 33% last week to 7.30 with volumes increasing by 46% week on week. Similar as potatoes, prices can trend downwards this month and get some support over the festive season in December. But we see prices traditionally decrease in January again. The carrot price also decreased last week to 2.80 per kilogram, with higher volumes also putting pressure on the current price. The carrot market is usually one that reacts very positively to the festive season, and we therefore expect this market to gain some support in December, but fall back down again in January. The latest onion price traded lower on 4.38 last week, with higher volumes putting downward pressure on this price currently. This market, however, doesn't traditionally react to higher demand over the festive season, with volumes that still drive these prices. 
If historic trends are anything to go by, we expect volumes to steadily enter into the market and prices to trend sideways or even slightly downwards in November and December with lower volumes in January that can support prices again. Other vegetable prices traded as follows. Cabbages on 2 Rand 14, garlic on 40 Rand 38, spinach prices trading on 1 Rand 69, while the latest sweet potato price decreased to 6 Rand 81 per kilogram. Pepper prices traded on 13 Rand 14 per kilogram. Although most fruit prices increased last week, the banana price decreased by 2% to 10 rand 60 per kilogram due to an increase in volumes. Longer term, we are expecting these prices to trend sideways, but the late season and higher volumes can put some additional pressure on this price going forward. The latest apple price increased to 7 rand 95, while pear prices traded on 9 rand 66 per kilogram. Apple and pear prices don't usually make drastic changes, uh, and we are currently in a lower volume and upward trending price period. We therefore expect Apple prices to continue its upward trend over the next three months or so. The orange price increased to 6 Rand 45 last week with lower volumes and very good demand still supporting these prices. This trend is likely to continue over the next three months as volumes are likely to become more scarce on the markets. The avocado price showed significant improvement the past few weeks and increased to 25 rand 32 per kilogram last week. Based on seasonality, we are expecting the price to continue moving upwards, mostly due to low volumes and good demand likely to remain on the markets. The local table grape production season is a bit late, resulting in the price to increase to 69 rand 56 per kilogram last week. However, looking forward, we usually see the price decrease as volumes pick up until at least the middle of March next year. Therefore, expect these prices to remain under pressure during the festive season. The pineapple price traded on 9 Rand 66, while the lemon price increased to 6 Rand 92 per kilogram last week. Check out our weekly grain and livestock overviews, which is also available on our Facebook and YouTube channels. Also make sure to tune in to Food from Zanzi for the latest in agriculture. This broadcast is of course made possible by Standard Bank. Back to you, Don and Duncan. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Johnny van der Merwe. Don, that's a wrap for this week then. Remember to our listeners, if you love the podcast, share it with your friends, your family members, and of course, fellow farmers. The Farmers Inside Track podcast is available for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Please stay safe out there and remember to always wear a mask. Also visit Food for Mzanzi's COVID-19 support page for the latest updates and information. From me, Dornumdu, Duncan Masiwa and the rest of the Food for Mzanzi team, have a great week. Until next time, bye. You've been listening to the Farmers Inside Track podcast, supported by Food for Mzanzi. For more information, find us on www.farmersinsidetrack.co.za.